Uh, this is going to sound like a bit of a random question. We'll come back to that video here in, in, in just a minute. Uh, but do we have any fans, by a show of hands here, uh, of the show Shark Tank? Any of y'all like the, the show Shark Tank? Come on, be, be honest. Look at it. A lot of people like this show. It's a pretty popular show. Uh, I'm a sucker for it even more now because the reruns, if you don't know, come on CNBC. And it's one of those shows that, like, if it's on, it's kind of like The Office for me. It's like it's really hard not to watch it and get kind of glued in and quickly burn up, like, 30, 45 minutes of your day. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with the show Shark Tank, it's a pretty simple concept. Uh, it's a reality show portrays everyday people like me and you that come up with these ideas, these inventions, these products, these companies, uh, and then they get in front of these five investors, or as they call them on the show, sharks, and hence the name Shark Tank, and they kind of pitch the idea to these people. Uh, and if these investors buy in, if they think it's like this really good idea, they will give them this sudden influx of cash to kind of get the idea off of the ground in exchange for a certain percentage stake in the company. And so you'll see like these enormous amounts of money uh, exchanged so that these people can get these ideas off the ground. And obviously, if it does well, it's good for the people that invented it, but also for good for these investors who just, you know, threw a bunch of money into it and now just kind of get to sit back and collect checks. And one of the things that, uh, if you're anything like me, you've probably noticed this as well, one of the things that consistently blows my mind about this show is, is how committed these people are to their ideas. Whether it's a really good idea or whether, and there's a fair share of these too, whether it's a really terrible idea. In fact, one of the questions that one of the sharks usually almost always asks is how much of your own money have you invested into this? And if you're anything like me, again, you kind of sit on the edge of your seat waiting for this response as you're sitting there like, okay, how much of your own money? Like how much skin do you really have in the game? Because they never reply with like, oh, I, I put 20 bucks into this. It's like always these exorbitant sums of money. It's like $50,000, $250,000, half a million dollars, a million dollars. And if it's like a really, really big sum of money, one of the sharks will usually ask a follow-up question of, well, where did you get it from? Like, where did you all get all this initial money? And these people, these answers are crazy. They're like, well, we sold our house. We took out a second mortgage. Uh, we sold all of our vehicles. We basically liquidated everything that we own and put every penny into this company. And they'll talk about how they went around to friends and family members and solicited all this money from them as well. I mean, again, it's always this crazy amount of money. And depending on if it's a good idea or not, dictates how the sharks respond to that question and respond to that answer, right? If it's a good idea, they all kind of sit back and they're like, all right, I like this. This guy's like all into this. We're, we're glad that he's committed. Or if it's a terrible idea, you get the complete opposite it's, it's like this cumulative groan and like wincing where they're just like, oh no. I mean, they can't even make eye contact with the person anymore because it's so bad. They're like, oh my goodness, like you have ruined your life by sinking all this money into this idea. But when the people on this show come up with something they believe in, they are all in. Like there is no turning back. They are 100% committed. And if that idea, if that company, if that invention doesn't take off, if it fails, they are basically going to fail at life. As you've probably already figured out, again, we are starting this brand new series today called All In. And so if you're new here, uh, this is your first time with us, uh, you're catching us at a really, really good time. It's always better to catch us like right at the beginning or, or near the end of a series because of how each week kind of builds off of the last. And we're really grateful you decided to walk through our doors. Uh, it's one of the things I really, really love about this church. Uh, every single week is a little bit different. Every week kind of has its own unique flair to it. And it's never the exact same people walking through our doors. There's always new people walking through our doors. So if it is your first time again, welcome. And we promise you, that you are certainly not alone. One of the things that we have noticed since we started this church, we started it back in January of 2018, so about a year, year and a half ago, is that there's this certain group of people, and it's a relatively small group of people, that show up here consistently that like really like this place. 
I mean, they, they like really like this place. Now, don't get me wrong. That there's a group of people that show up here on a consistent basis that would say, yeah, I, I like Grumla. But the people I'm describing, like, it's almost strange how much they like coming around here. I mean, they have like this next level of just like, we are really committed to this. In fact, most of them have this attitude about them that it's like a privilege, it's an honor that they even get to step in here on Sunday mornings. They're the people that even if we told them to stop showing up, they wouldn't listen. They'd just keep coming back. They're the people that even when they're not scheduled to serve on a particular team on a Sunday morning, they still show up anyway and they serve anyway. They're the people that even when we make it really, really clear to them that like we are all set we definitely don't need any more help. We are good. Inevitably, about 30 seconds later, they're coming up to you and kind of sheepishly tapping you on the shoulder and going, hey, is, is there anything that you guys need help with right now? If you've shown up here for any amount of time, um, there are probably even faces and names that are maybe running across your mind right now as we describe this hypothetical person. Around here, we would describe that person as being all in and hence the name of this series. And I, I want to let you all in on a little bit of a secret here this morning. It, it, it's our hope and it's our desire, it's our prayer that every single person that is seated in this room would eventually get to that point. And I want to make this really clear on the front end. It's not because we want your help. And it's not because we want your money. It's not because we need your support. It is, in fact, way bigger and better than that. When I look around and I think about this kind of collective group of people, they are certainly not all the same. They have different interests, they have different hobbies, they have different backgrounds, they have different upbringings. There are so many differences. In fact, there's probably more differences than there are similarities. But there's this common denominator among these maniacs that are all in, that are 100% committed. You know what it is? Jesus has transformed their lives. Not, not just like this hypothetical thing that we talk about on Sunday mornings, like Jesus has truly transformed their lives from the inside out. And they have discovered what we would hope that every person in this room would eventually figure out, that, that life with Jesus is just better. Life with Jesus is so much better than a life without him. Jesus wants to make our lives better, and he wants to make us better at life. One of the questions that, for whatever reason, I've seen popping up more and more on social media lately, I saw it even a couple times this week as I was preparing for this message, it's a question that's been posed to me from time to time is this, would I still follow Jesus if there was no heaven? Would I still follow Jesus if there wasn't this promise of eternal rewards? Would I still follow Jesus if there wasn't this, this promise of eternal riches, that, that I got to spend eternity with my creator? And if I'm being really honest with all of you, early on in, in my faith journey, I think if you would have asked me this question and I would have truthfully responded, I think I would have paused. I don't, I don't know, maybe. Can, can you give me just a little bit more time to think about this? But, but you know what I've since discovered in my life and these all-in people that I'm describing have discovered? It's that the whole heaven thing is just kind of a bonus. Now, by no means am I trying to undermine heaven and eternity with God. That sounds fantastic. I am certainly looking forward to it. I don't know exactly what heaven's actually gonna look like. We, we're given these hints and these clues throughout this book that we refer to as the Bible, and all indications point to the fact that it's gonna be pretty fantastic, that when we get there, we're certainly not gonna wanna leave. It's certainly better than the alternative, but heaven is just the cherry on top. 
Growing up, well, one of our favorite things to do as a family uh, when we go on these family vacations was to go to water parks. Anybody else fans of, of water parks? Like, love water parks. There's great. There's about 12 of you. Yeah, you guys, some of you guys are into it. Raising your hands there. That's awesome. Um, we're a family of six. I have two brothers. Uh, I have a younger sister and then two loving parents. And my, because of what my dad did for a living in the summers, we'd spend most of the time out on the road. And then my dad would kind of have these free days from work where they would leave it up to us as the kids. And they'd say, hey, do you want to go to an amusement park? Or do you want to go to a water park? And it wasn't like they were like crummy amusement parks. We're talking about like the Magic Kingdom, Universal Studios, Six Flags, Kings Island, like really good amusement parks. But nine times out of 10, we ended up picking the water park because in our minds, it was better to go to these water parks rather than baking out in the sun at these amusement parks in like the middle of muggy Florida all day. And so my mom loved that in particular. She is like a fish. She loves the water. So we'd pick the water park most of the time. And leading up to those days where we were going to be spending it at the water park, I couldn't sleep. I was like so jacked up as like this elementary and middle school kid where I was like, oh my gosh, only two more days till the water park. I would be so fired up about it. And then my dad is one of those guys that gets places way too early. We get to these water parks like 45 minutes before the gates would even open. And we were beating the employees to the park. And then we'd literally wait at the gate and we were the first people in and we were typically among the last to leave as they were kind of literally shoving us out the doors like, okay, you have to leave at some point. And at the end of the day, we'd all have these smiles on our faces because we had just had an incredible, incredible day. We'd pile into the family minivan. And before my dad would even take off, oftentimes he would turn around and he'd say, hey guys, and he'd have this grin on his face. And we're like, what? He's like, you wanna go get ice cream? I mean, you're sitting there like, what? And we get to go get ice cream? This was like already pretty much the best day ever. And now you're telling me that it's going to get even a little bit better. You guys, guess what? I was going to be in for the water park, whether ice cream was involved or not. My dad did not dangle an ice cream cone outside of the van when we first arrived. He was like, okay, guys, if you just put up with this whole water park thing for the day, then at the end of the day, maybe you'll get some ice cream. In my mind, the, the water park was good enough. And for those of you that are kind of new to this whole Christianity thing, Maybe you're just exploring your faith. Maybe you're here and you're just hoping to get some basic questions answered about Christianity and about this guy named Jesus. Shoot, maybe you were basically bribed into showing up here today. Every single week, there's people right, just like you that, that basically get forced into showing up here. Somebody invited you over and over and over again and you finally just said, fine, I'll come. And you did it just to hopefully get that person off of your back. If that would describe you, if you're just kind of new to this whole thing, I want to talk to specifically you, you right now. I, I want to make this really, really, really clear on the front end. You should not follow Jesus. You should not become a Christian. You should not become a Jesus follower, whatever terminology you want to throw around that, just for heaven, just for the ice cream. Don't get me wrong, it is a solid end of this earthly life reward, but there is some really, really great stuff going on this side of heaven. In fact, I would beg you and I would implore you, I think you ought to follow Jesus because it's gonna make you a better spouse. Undeniably, following Jesus will make you a better husband. It'll make you a better wife. I think you should follow Jesus because undeniably, it will make you a better parent. I think you should follow Jesus because you'll be a better friend, because you'll be a better boss, because you'll be a better coworker. You'll be kinder. You'll be less angry, you'll be more compassionate, you'll be more generous, you will absolutely be quicker to forgive. And I could go on and on and on and on. Your life will have more joy and more contentment and more purpose and more meaning than you ever thought imaginable. And best of all, as if we needed any more incentive, you get to experience the security and peace of having an actual relationship with your creator. 
You guys, showing up here on Sunday mornings is not about religion. I hate religion. Religion is awful. Religion breeds hypocrisy. Religion breeds judgment. Jesus did not come into this world to bring religion. Religion is all about you have to in order to get something from God. Do these things, hit these checkpoints, follow these commandments, and then maybe at the end of your life, you'll get something from God. Maybe at the end of your life, you'll find yourself in heaven. But Jesus, a relationship, which is, by the way, the complete opposite of religion, a relationship with him is all about you get to because of what he has done for you. To to bring this back around, these all-in people have discovered this and their lives have been so transformed by Jesus that there's, there's this natural outpouring that, that doesn't have to be coerced. It doesn't have to be forced. We, we don't have to talk these people into anything that they want to. They feel compelled to. It's, it's an outpouring of gratitude in response to what Jesus has done for you. One, one of the people that embodies so well what, what I'm talking about, and, and by the way, he is gonna hate that I'm about to recognize him right now because he is such an incredibly humble guy, and that's kind of this common characteristic among this group of people. They're very, very humble. Uh, is a guy that goes by the name of Nick Newhan. Uh, Nick Newhan uh, serves on our setup and our teardown team. Uh, he, he does so much behind the scenes for this church. And, and to be really, really clear, when, when I first met Nick uh, about two years ago, uh, he was a really nice guy then. He really was, but by all accounts, he seemed like a great husband. He, he, he seemed like a great and a loyal friend. He was a hard worker. He provided for his family, but we fast forward to present day about two years again after initially meeting Nick, and my goodness, have things changed in his life. He, he's one of these people that's here literally every Sunday. I mean, he maybe misses two or three Sundays a year, and even on those Sundays when he's not able to be here, he's like texting me and apologizing, texting me explaining why he can't be there and how much he hates that he's not here on that day. And he's not one of these people that just shows up at, you know, right at 9.30 or right at 11.15 when service starts. Every single week, he is here at 6.30 a.m. When, when that trailer pulls in, it needs to be unloaded and everything needs to get set up to be ready to rock by 9.30, and he's typically one of the last people to leave. As we walk out the door and as everything gets packed up, at usually around 1.30. He, he's the master of quietly improving things around here. He'll go around and, and, and spend his own money. If he notices that something's wrong, he'll go out and he'll buy parts for certain things that we have sitting around here. Like the other week, like our, our speaker stands, for whatever reason, like all of them were missing a couple of screws. And he goes out and he buys more screws and he's just kind of replacing those things all on his own. Nobody asked him to. He'll reorganize carts that maybe aren't as efficiently packed as they should be. He's in fact asked me on several occasions, how can I be more involved? He literally has come up to me and asked me that question. Hey Shay, how can I be more involved here? I just, I just want to do a little bit more. And I'm looking at him like, what? Do more? Like dude, like, I, I don't know what else we could give you at, at this point. In fact, if, we, if you do anything more around here, I'm going to feel obligated to begin paying you because you already do so much. But because of how Jesus has transformed his life, because he can look into the not-so-distant past and see what life was like without Jesus, and he can now compare that to present day, what life is like with Jesus, and he sees how much better it is. There's this outpouring of gratitude that just spills out from him. There's no keeping it in. That that would be as unnatural to him as it would be for some of you to show up here at 6.30 a.m. on your only day off. 
At the beginning of the year, we, we started to think of, of some of these values that these all-in people just kind of seem to naturally embrace in their lives, values that we see as a consistent part of their lives. And we said, as a Grumlaw staff, that this is something that we want to chase after. We want to be really, really intentional about making sure that these things are a part of our lives. And after about six months of, of running after these things as a staff, we thought it was time to kind of roll these out to, to all of you, to the rest of the church, to reveal to you what it, what it kind of means to be all in. And that's what we're going to do over this series for these next five weeks, is kind of talk about these values and unpack them and, and, and talk about why they should have value uh, in your life and why embracing these values not only will make your life better, but the lives around you as well, whether you call yourself a Christian or not. Even if you don't embrace every single thing that we're talking about here on Sunday mornings, you would be wise to implement these values into your life. If you were paying attention as you walked in, there's like these five new banners in the back, and those are the, the, the values that we're going to be rolling out today. They are assume the best. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Celebrate creativity. Uh, make it better. Always be teachable and give it up. These are values that we anticipate for as long as, as we exist as a church, and, and we're pretty confident that God's just getting started. They're going to be celebrated. They're going to be put on a pedestal. Uh, back when I was in high school, I've shared a little bit about this before. I, I was a bit of a wild child. I got myself into quite a bit of trouble, was constantly kind of causing my parents stress. And uh, in the middle of all this, my parents were actually starting a church as well. It's about you know, 15 years ago. They're starting this church, and meanwhile, they have this high school son that's just doing nothing but causing them uh, problems. Never really realized until now how much stress that was probably causing them uh, back then. And uh, I think if you would have taken a poll back at that church, you know, when it, when it first started and, and said, where's Shay going to be by the time he hits 18, most of them would have checked the prison box. Uh, but there was one guy in particular at this church that, that for whatever reason, uh, he just decided to take me under his wing. His name is Jamie. And, uh, and Jamie just decided to kind of invite me into his life. Even though he had a lot going on, he had kids, a family, a busy a work schedule, but he just kind of just started pulling me into his life. And I, I got to see what it meant firsthand to actually raise your children in a Christ-like home. I, I got to see firsthand what it meant to date your wife long after you say I do. I, I got to see what it really meant to like work your tail off in the marketplace to provide for your family. And all the while, most importantly, I got to see really what it meant to really chase after Jesus. Uh, Jamie was so generous with me in high school. There'd be times where I'd just be like low on money because I'm a high schooler and I spend money on dumb stuff and, and he would literally just hand me cash. There were these countless times throughout high school, he drove pretty nice vehicles where I would kind of sheepishly ask him to borrow his vehicles, whether it was because I was trying to impress a date or it was homecoming or I just wanted to suddenly drive one of his cars around. And he, without even thinking, would just toss me his keys. And again, I'm telling you, if you knew me in high school, that was a wild, like careless decision at that point in my life. Like I reflect back at that, I'm like, what was he thinking? Uh, I, I ran into Jamie uh, this last summer actually at a wedding and hadn't seen him in years and be honest really hadn't kept in touch with him and I gave him a big hug I was like dude I am so glad I'm running India be because I know back when I was in high school you were probably thinking this was a lost cause and you didn't really see a lot of fruit out of this relationship but you have no idea what you modeled for me you, you have no idea the example that you have laid for my life Thank you for believing in me. He, he was a master. He was a master at that first value of assuming the best clinging to the positive rather than the negative. I don't need to convince anybody sitting here today that we live in a society that's, that's pretty negative, that typically will assume the worst in people. As we saw in that video, we're typically a glass half empty society. We're quick to point out the faults in other people. We, we, we talk negatively about people without even thinking about it and, and thus are demeaning those people in our minds and eventually, whether we realize it or not, absolutely affects actually how we treat those people. 
Now, there's this guy in this book that we refer to as the Bible. We talk about him all the time. He goes by the name of Paul. Uh, Paul wrote actually much of, of the, the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible. Uh, Paul is really probably the reason that really any of us even know who, who Jesus is because of his work, uh, you know, spreading the name of Jesus all around much of the ancient world. But it's really important to note that, that Paul has a bit of a backstory. Before his name was Paul, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus was this very, very devout Jew. In fact, he was a part, uh, a particular sect of the Jews uh, known as the Pharisees, which practiced this really, really strict adherence uh, to the law, which were these 613 rules that were contained within the Jewish scriptures. And he was as good at keeping these laws and as good at keeping these rules as anybody that had walked the face of the earth. And so in this new movement that we now refer to as Christianity kind of burst onto the scene, he took it as like a direct affront to what Judaism had going on. And so he kind of looked up to heaven. He's like, don't worry, God, I got this. And he made it his mission to destroy Christianity, to eviscerate it from the face of the earth. And he was well on his way, going around and persecuting and arresting and even in some cases, killing Christians. And then in a sequence of events that only God could have possibly orchestrated, he's now on the front line spreading the name of Jesus, the name that he was once seeking to destroy And he spent the rest of his life, known as Paul, going around again much of the ancient world and planning all these little ecclesias, as they called them back then, all these little churches, these communities of believers spreading the name of Jesus. And because transportation and communication isn't, you know, wasn't back then what it is today, he would frequently write letters back to these churches that he had helped start as a way to encourage them, as a way for them to, you know, keep telling them like, hey, keep living in this way that I once showed you. And one of these letters that he wrote was back to uh, this early Christian church in Rome, and hence the name of it being Romans. And right there, he addresses how we ought to treat other people, regardless of how they treat us, regardless of maybe the previous interactions that we have had with those people. And and I want you to keep in mind, as we're about to dive into these words, that, that, that just imagine the weight of these words to that first century audience. Those people who would have been well aware of Saul of Tarsus and have now seen this complete transformation to this guy named Paul, a completely different person. And so he opens up the 15th chapter by saying this. Go ahead there to the next slide. We must not just please ourselves. We must not just please ourselves. Now, no exaggeration, we could literally spend the next five weeks just talking about this one statement. This one statement, if if everybody in this room would just embrace this, would have the ability to change the dynamics for the better for literally every relationship in your life. This one statement is so counterculture to what our American Western society advocates. This is perhaps, and I promise I'm not just saying this for hyperbole, I promise I'm not just saying this to kind of emotionally draw you into this. This is perhaps the single most important value that Jesus would advocate and would in turn capture the attention of the world. This idea of consistently putting other people ahead of yourself. For example, I want you to think about this right now. Really go with me mentally here. Uh, All of you, whether you're single or married, I want you to think about the marriage. I want you to think about the couple, the relationship that you look up to most. If you're single, the, the couple that you look to and say, hey, whenever I am married, I want my relationship to look like that. For you, for you married people, the, the couple that you look to and you say, man, I wish my marriage was a little bit more like that. And, and no matter what the couple is, no matter who the couple is that you're thinking of right now, I guarantee you are thinking of two people that are constantly putting the needs of the other person ahead of themselves. People that are treating marriage as it should. They're treating marriage as a submission competition. And whether you are Christian or not, I guarantee you, 
Wouldn't you admit, there is something strangely attractive about that quality? You, you cannot help but be drawn to that. There's something strangely attractive about a person that constantly puts the needs of other people ahead of their own. I mean, you're sure of that for other people, but you're just not sure about you. Because it is something that is so much easier to talk about than actually do. He said, we should help others do what is right. And we should build them up in the Lord. And here's what I'm sure of this morning. You cannot build someone up. You cannot do and help other people towards what is right if you are assuming the worst in that person. If you're assuming that that person is going to fail before it even begins, if you're having all these negative thoughts that are running through your head, if you're internally eye-rolling them, it becomes next to impossible to build that person up and help that individual. Back when I was in uh, college, uh, a friend of mine, actually, David Reed, who was you know, sharing his story today uh, on camera, so, so powerful. I've known David since uh, my freshman year of college. When, when I got into college, uh, I basically kind of carried on this way that I had been living in high school, except when I got to college, it just stood out a little bit more because I went to this small Christian university and kind of quickly gained this reputation as like this maniac and you know, kind of the wild card on, uh, on campus and, and therefore started hanging out with a lot of people that probably weren't the best influence on my life. But uh, my brother when I was a freshman, was actually a senior, and, and he, he was a part of the men's soccer program, and, and that group of guys was just like this incredibly quality, you know, Christian young men, and uh, because of my relationship with my brother, I got to know a handful of these guys. Well, my brother graduates, obviously, after his senior year, and heading into my sophomore year, about two weeks uh, before I was set to go back to school, I got a call from David Reed, and, and he calls me. He says, hey, I got an idea for you, and I was like, okay, what is it? And he's like, I think you should be the, 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 the soccer manager for the men's soccer program, and I was like, Nope, that is for dweebs. I do not have headgear and I do not have braces. I am not in interested in being part of that at all. Like, I just thought it was like the nerdiest thing ever. But he's like, no, no, don't say no yet. I mean, you don't understand. He's like, Shay, you already like us anyway. I mean, it's basically you start, you know, getting paid to hang out with your friends. We get to go on all these trips. And, you know, he goes on like this, this 10-minute sales pitch. And so I finally am like, all right. You know, my dad's been telling me I need to work at school anyway. Okay, me, I find, okay, I'll, I'll do it. Now, little did I know that now the real work had began for David because he had to go back now to the head men's soccer coach and convince him to hire me. And like I was saying, my reputation went ahead of me at this point in my life. And he told me what the soccer coach initially told. He was like, yeah, right. We're not hiring that guy. He's a wild card. That sounds like a terrible, terrible idea. But David vouched for me, and, and he put his own reputation on the line. And he said no, and he, you know, he went into like this detailed almost presentation about why he thought I would actually be a good fit. And at the end of it, the coach threw his hands in the air, and he's like, whatever, David. If you think he's going to work, then tell him that he can have the job. And little did I know, and, and this is the part where I could, I could start crying almost thinking about this. I wasn't just saying yes to being a soccer manager and, and being a part of that team. That, that was the beginning of really when God began to, to grab a hold of my life. Because for the first time in my life, I, I, I was around other young men that were chasing after Jesus. People that knew how to have an, an incredible, incredible time in life, but, but, but also were, again, relentlessly trying to grow closer and closer to Jesus. And I have no idea, I'm not just saying this, I have no idea where I would be in my life if it wouldn't have been for guys like Dave and other guys on that soccer team. Here's why it's so important that we actually do this, that we actually assume the best in other people, particularly for, for you Jesus followers sitting in the room. Again, he says, we should help others do what is right, and we should build them up in the Lord. And, and then here's the why. For even Christ did not live to please himself. You guys, 
I think we lose sight of this sometimes. I think we all kind of know this inherently. But, but Jesus was the son of God. And he knew it. It wasn't like it was lost on him or it was revealed to him later on in life. If there was anyone in the history of the world that could have wielded his power and wielded his authority for the benefit of himself and nobody would have batted an eye, it was Jesus. But yet, he showed us the complete opposite. He he instead chose to humble himself to the lowest of lows. He died on a cross for you and, and for me. You guys, that, that day that he allowed himself to be crucified, to, to be killed for each of us, to be killed for specifically you, in that moment, he assumed the best in you. And whether you believe it or not, he is assuming the best in you right now. No, no matter how lowly you might think of yourself, regardless of how distant you may feel from God, regardless of how frequently you have rejected him and how frequently you have turned your back to him, he still assumes the best in you. And because of what Jesus has done for you, we are called to follow his lead and in turn, assume the best in others. So as we wrap this up this morning, here are two really, really practical takeaways Uh, that I would love us to to walk away with today. Number one is who do you need to have an I believe in you conversation with? You you guys, your words have the ability to bring such life to people. As as I was sharing those examples about David and about Jamie, I'd be willing to bet, it's probably not a lot, but there are probably a couple conversations that even came to your own mind. People that took the time to just sit you down. It might not have been this 30, 45 minute thing, but the people that just chose to speak life into you and who can you have a similar impact on? Your words have the ability to bring such life to other people. And I think we hold back from having these types of conversations and we take a step back for for really, really foolish reasons. Feels unnatural. We're we're, we're afraid of, of how it's exactly going to be received. We're afraid of like the silliest reasons. Like we, we think that they're going to think that we're weird. We, we've become so negative that, that saying something as positive as this, saying something as positive as I believe in you actually feels counterintuitive. I, I would challenge you this morning to get over yourself and use your words to bring life to another person. Who do you need to have that conversation with? And then number two, who have you subconsciously tuned out of your life that you need to invite back in? Think about that right now. These people that subconsciously, you have just kind of tuned them out of your life. And I bet for just about every single one of us, again, if we're actually listening right now, there's a name. There's a face that almost immediately jumps to your mind. That person that you have belittled so significantly in your own mind that you can't look at them, you can't think about them, without almost immediately thinking something negative. And you need to start battling against that, intentionally battling against those thoughts and see them as God does, which is, by the way, a child of God, an image bearer of the Most High who is no less valuable than you or anybody else on this planet. As hard as it's going to be at first, as manipulated as it will feel at first, Oftentimes, we hold back from doing these things. We go, oh, it just feels fake. Who cares? In order for it to not start feeling fake, you need to start practicing this. Start asking questions about that person's life. Invite them over for a meal. 
Imagine what it would mean to that person if you went into work tomorrow and you said, hey, why don't you come to lunch with me? Shoot them a text. Take a real tangible step towards assuming the best in others. You guys, we don't have a ton of time to, to unpack this this morning because we just kind of had to, you know, kind of introduce the whole series, but, but this is a big deal. This is truly life-altering stuff. It might seem like a tiny step to you, but it can have drastic and dramatic implications for someone else. And here's how I know that I'm not exaggerating. Because think of you for a second. Imagine for some of you tomorrow, if again, you went into work and about five minutes after sitting at your desk, your boss came out and he said, hey, will you come into my office right now? And he called you in and he just expressed to you how much he or she believes in you. How valuable you are to the company. How thankful they are that you chose to work there, that you chose to bring your talents and your gifts into that particular place of employment. I bet that wouldn't just affect your attitude. I bet that would affect your productivity. Think about, for some of you, that that coworker that you just never seem to get along with. Again, imagine that person coming up to you at some point tomorrow and just asking you a question about your family. And we can tell in those moments whether somebody's being sincere, it's being fake, but you're like, oh my gosh, they're actually like really want to know the answer to that question. Uh, Imagine the relational equity that would be regained in literally just a five-minute water cooler conversation. Uh, Imagine for some of you, think about this. If you just got a text from a mother from a father today, and literally all the text read was, I believe in you so much. You make me so proud to be called your dad. You make me so proud to be called your mom. Again, I know I'm not exaggerating, because I look around the room right now, and there's some of you literally fighting back tears at just the thought of that. When we assume the best in other people, we are modeling what Christ has done for every single one of us. And so maybe, maybe it should not come as too much of a surprise, the positive effects that this can have not only in our lives, but the lives around us as well.